somewhere between waking and sleeping. On our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment where we have one foot in the waking world, and the other is in that other world where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here and straddled between two planets that drive one another like gears, the attentive traveller will notice a narrow door, only wide enough to sidle through. This is the border of sleep, where imagination and reality are braided together, a chasm in the crust of consciousness, venting the hot pumice of imagery into the irresistible magma of narrative. Welcome to episode 57 of Stories from the Borders of Sleep, a special festive edition for the holidays. Curious Tales from Borders of Sleep are created and voiced by your host Seymour Jacklin, and at bordersofsleep.com you can find more information, leave feedback or join the email list to be updated on what I'm up to and the inspiration behind the stories, or find out how to support me to keep writing. I love hearing from listeners, however you might get in touch, whether that's through the Facebook page or by email, and I will always try to respond. The soundtrack for this week's episode is by Sambody Prem from the album Seven Waves of Knowing, which as usual is available from magnitude.com. So, if you are ready to journey with me, then I shall begin. Decorations by Seymour Jacklin on the first day of December, it snowed properly for the first time. One of the boys in the class had been the first to notice and announce it to the rest of them on seeing the huge flakes coming down. Jenny's teacher lost control for a few moments. It was as if someone had tipped the classroom up and all the loose children slid down one side to stack up against the windows. Looking upwards, the snowflakes were scattering downwards quiet shadows on grey that made the sky look dirty. But as they settled on the ground, the children watched the grobby asphalt of the playground turn white. Some of them were clamouring to be allowed outside, but they had only just come back after lunch break, and the teacher had another idea for getting their attention back to their formal education. Back to your desks, everyone. She reassured them that there would be plenty of time to play in the snow and it was best to wait until it had settled properly anyway. She wrote on the board, I love snow because... Dot, 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 and set them the task of completing the sentence in as many ways as they could think of. Jenny did well with the task. I love snow because... It looks beautiful. I love snow because... It is soft and crunchy. I love snow because my dog tries to eat it. Teacher reminded them to practice using some feeling words and to write how the snow made them feel. Jenny stared out of the window. The flakes were still floating downwards, in no hurry at all to complete their journey to the ground. It makes me feel peaceful, Jenny wrote. She tried to think of more things, but she started tripping over the things she couldn't write down. She was in two minds. It wasn't always the best thing in the world when it snowed. She thought of how long it took just getting in and out of the house, with all those layers to put on and take off, and usually being told by Mum to do what she was doing anyway. It was no fun the way it got mixed with grey muck and went into slush by the roads. 
One year it had been so thick that it was apt to go over the top of her boots, melt into her socks and soak her toes, and she didn't like how the other kids played with it. Not just snowballing, but trying to stuff handfuls of it down the back of each other's necks. Teacher went around the class asking them to read out one thing from their list. Everyone had said her things by the time it was her turn, except for the one thing about Beetle, her dog. Beetle was hilarious when he tried to eat the snow. He got his name because he was small and black. And since he was very small, it was also comical to watch him make progress by successively bounding up and disappearing into the drifts of snow, and she tried to explain this to the class, but it fell a bit flat. They were all waiting for the bell to go, not only signalling the end of the day, but the beginning of the weekend. The children's excitement made them extra pushy in the cloakroom despite teachers' best efforts to keep order, as they collected their coats and bags. Jenny hung back until the coast was clear, and then took her time. The room was suddenly bereft and echoey once everyone had cleared out. Her coat was a heavy sort of dark green duffel with artificial deer antler toggles and false fur around the hood. As she pushed her arms into the sleeves, she thought of the same thing that she always thought when she was in the cloakroom. Why did they call it the cloakroom when none of the kids actually had cloaks? She saw teacher through the back door into the classroom tidying her desk and was asked, about to ask her about it. But Mrs. Briars caught her eye and called out, Goodbye, Jenny. Have a nice weekend. You too, Miss Briars, said Jenny. Dad was waiting to collect her outside the gates. The snow was already churned up and mucky and made her shoes wet as they walked to the car. Dad drove carefully, hunched forward and watching for slippery patches. Jenny asked him if Beetle had been out in the snow. Beetle has just been a lazy bones and snored on the armchair most of the day, said Dad. He'll be happy to see you. You can take him out, as long as he hasn't forgotten what his legs are for. Jenny giggled. If you want, we can go out and get a Christmas tree tomorrow, and you can help me get the best one. This was an annual ritual, but it had never been done in the snow before. That would be fun. Decorating it was the best bit, though. It was already growing dark. Jenny watched the tops of the trees going past the car windows. Some of them had street lights glowing up into the angle of their branches, and the coating of white glistened on their outlines. Jenny thought how beautiful they looked, and imagined how, when the stars came out, they would twinkle among the twigs. Those trees would need no further decorating. The car tyres made a soft hissing sound on the wet road. The streetlights were no more when they got out of town and onto the lanes that wound to their door. When they arrived home, there was just enough light left in the west to lend a glow to the blue-white counterpane of snow on the roof and garden against the dark backdrop of the woodland behind the house. The windows were lit with a snug glow. She shed her shoes and coat in the porchway, which with its tiled floor was strangely colder than the hushed world outside. Beetle was directly on the other side of the door and he rushed out as soon as Dad opened it, fussing around her feet and making up for the shortness of his stumpy tail by wagging his whole body. She crouched down and picked him up and held him wriggling in her arms, just long enough to nuzzle his fur before he twisted free. 
It was only four in the afternoon, but she couldn't wait to put on her pyjamas and settle in for the evening. She did this before tackling her homework at the kitchen table. Mum wasn't home yet, but Dad got a fire going in the lounge and then joined her in the kitchen while he potted with making their dinner. Jenny enjoyed their homework. She had a piece of paper with the outline of a butterfly and her task was to find a picture of a real butterfly and fill in the outline with all the details and then to label it correctly with its common name, its Latin name and something about it. Beetle went into a frenzy for a full minute before they heard Mum at the door. Hello, she called from the hallway. How's everything? called Dad. Mum appeared in the kitchen. Thank goodness it's Friday, she gasped, heading straight for the cupboard and taking out a wine glass. Handing out the homework sheets, teacher had made sure each child had a spare one in case the first one got spoiled. Jenny was done but she let her pencil drift idly over the wings of the spare butterfly outline, touching swirls onto the paper and adding branches and echoes to the swirls. The patterns flowed like eddies of water. As she worked, she saw the colours they would be. Simple shades of blue, nothing like she could replicate with a crayon. She saw the glistening of the wings like a coating of fine powder. She read in the book that some of the butterflies hibernate, all winter long. Where do they go? You wouldn't notice them at all, for when they fold their wings and tuck up under an old log, you wouldn't be able to tell them from a dead leaf. Because it was getting dark so early at the time of year, it felt much later than it really was, and Jenny found herself feeling drowsy even before their evening meal. Her parents had no trouble persuading her to go to bed as soon as the plates were cleared away. She slept soundly all night and was still dreaming when the first light showed in the morning. In her dream, someone started saying, Look at Beetle. It was Mum's voice, and there was a bright light filtering down into her dream like a mist, fading out the details. Jenny opened her eyes and saw Mum had opened the curtains and was standing at the window looking out. She had her hands wrapped around a mug of coffee. Jenny let out a little moan of protest at being woken up. Oh, you're awake, said Mum. Come and look at this dog. Jenny dragged the quilt with her over to the window and looked out into the garden. The whole world was white, pillows of snow tinged with the grey-blue of morning. Beetle was down there, in the garden, bouncing around, making drunken circles in the snow. Jenny giggled. It was up over his nose, so he had to progress by the biggest bounds he could muster, and every time he landed, all he could see was his nose snorkelling up, and his ears spread out on the surface of the snow. He was getting it in his mouth, too, and he didn't know whether to chew it or spit it out. Jenny leant against Mum, enjoying the smell of her coffee, and grinning at Beetle's antics below. Now that you're up, when you've got yourself ready, we'll all go out and get a Christmas tree, said Mum. Dad was already digging the fresh snow away from the driveway while Jenny grabbed some breakfast. With no further delay, Jenny folded her toast and marmalade into a sandwich, and her mother helped her get into her coat and boots. When they got out of the car, Dad was placing the axe in the boot. It was wrapped in a cloth, but the glint of its steel edge peeked out from a careless corner of the covering. 
Jenny was rather proud of the fact that, thanks to an arrangement with the landowners, they were allowed to go and get a real Christmas tree from the woods, rather than having a fake one or a packaged one. She wasn't sure about those other trees. The ones standing outside the supermarket, encased in a shroud of netting with their branches all bound up. It made her feel sad. She could feel their restriction. She couldn't bear it if she had her arms bound to her sides like that. She pictured herself taking scissors and cutting them free. When she was grown up and could choose for herself, she vowed to rescue as many of them as she could, buy all the trees she could afford and set them free in her very own forest where they could spread their arms and grow as tall as they wished. Today as they drove past, she had a new thought about them that was a little comforting for a moment. Maybe they were like butterflies, cased in their cocoons, just hibernating waiting for their seasonal time to come out and blaze gloriously. Soon they were driving out into the countryside and the fields were sliding past, pillow white and quilt stitched with fence lines. Dad hunched forward again and watched the road carefully for snowdrifts and ice. We have to all stop breathing for a bit so the windows don't get misted up, Mum joked. It's mostly Beetle, said Jenny. Beetle had his feet up on the seat by Jenny's shoulder trying to see out the window. His nose kept smudging the window with tick marks. The fields ended and the forest started abruptly, raising walls of snow-laden thicket on either side of the road. They turned down a track and the car's tyres crunched and creaked over the fresh snow until Dad pulled to a stop a little way in. Then they climbed out of the car. They all stood in the muffled silence for a few moments their eyes spontaneously drawn upwards into the vaulting of branches above them. It was quiet enough to hear each other breathing. Their breath came out in puffs of mist and disappeared. Shall we unleash the beast, said Dad, reaching for the handle of the rear door. Do it, said Jenny. Beetle sprung out of the boot like a wet towel that had been flung, and off he went ahead of them. His back legs were trying to outrun his front legs and both were chasing his nose. They were all laughing. He probably thinks he's the scariest and wildest animal this, these woods have ever seen, Dad said. He set off after Beetle, carrying the axe with one huge hand wrapped around the handle just below its head. Beetle was pawing at something in the snow, something red and blue. What did you find? Jenny asked, crouching beside him. It was a knitted mitten that someone must have dropped. Poor thing, all alone and soggy. Someone might come looking for it, she thought. Jenny found a branch at the height of her head and slipped the mitten over the end of it. There. That makes a nice decoration, don't you think, Beetle? she said. Beetle stopped panting for a moment and looked at the mitt with his mouth open, probably longing to keep it as a toy. Mum had noticed too. That's thoughtful of you, Jenny, she said. I'm sure someone will be glad you saved their mitten from the jaws of a wild beast. The colours reminded Jenny of her butterfly. Jenny remembered this part of the forest from the previous year when they had come to find a tree and there'd been no snow on that occasion. They would shortly come to what Dad called the nursery, a sort of clearing where some younger firs had been growing, probably replacing some older trees that had come down in a storm or been felled but she hardly recognised it when they got there this time. The little babies that would have been about right for a windowsill in an apartment had become sturdy teens that towered over her. 
pick your tree, Jenny, said Dad. Okay, said Jenny. She surveyed the young trees jostling each other for the foreground in front of her, like a family of several generations lining up for a photo. Beetle was inspecting the base of each in turn, stopping occasionally to shake the snow off his whiskers and check on his humans. Once she looked closely, the superficial uniformity of the shapes yielded to much more detail and variation in character between the trees. A little seed of uncertainty that she'd hardly noticed earlier put up a tender shoot inside Jenny. She felt it unfurl within her, reaching up from her heart into her throat. The family portrait in front of her. Suddenly she didn't want to be the one to condemn any of these young saplings to be hacked from its roots and taken away. I'm going to take a bit of a look round, she said. That's fine, but stay in sight, said Mum. Jenny called Beetle and they began skirting around the nursery, with the big, older trees towering to the right of them and the youngsters on their left. The adult trees looked scrappy on their inner-facing sides where they had been more exposed to the weather. Jenny quickly forgot that she was supposed to be looking for a tree to take home and to decorate. Her eyes were on the ground in front of her. She saw where falling drips from the branches above had pockmarked the snowdrifts below the trees where a rabbit had hopped along, imprinting open-mouthed faces in the snow, two eyes with its forepaws, a nose and a mouth lined up with its hindpaws. She saw secret caves under fallen twigs, where the snow had spread a roof over the top of them. Then she thought she saw a single huge white angel's wing lying across her path. In a few steps she was standing over it, really it was a big branch that had freshly broken off one of the larger fir trees, and it was covered in snow so that every frond became a glittering feather. Delighted, she picked it up and shook it, creating her own miniature snowstorm. Beetle looked up at her, begging her with his eyes to throw the very big stick for him. Suddenly she heard her name called. She'd strayed out of sight. Oops! She dropped the branch and ran back to Mum and Dad with Beetle at her heels. They were standing where she'd left them. Mum had her arms crossed in front of her and her hands tucked into her armpits. She looked frozen. Have you found one yet? Dad asked. No, said Jenny, catching her breath. Hurry up, then your mother's getting cold. I just don't know, said Jenny, eyeing the glinting axe her father was leaning on. Well, I'll choose one, said Dad hefting the axe and striding to a proud specimen that stood a foot taller than him and had a classic sort of symmetry to it. Jenny couldn't bear it all of a sudden. He couldn't chop it down. Not that beautiful one. And just leave a bare stump standing there. No, she said, a bit more loudly than she'd meant to. She looked around. It would surely break the hearts of all its brothers and sisters, whichever one they took. She couldn't let Dad chop any of them. Then in a flash she had an idea. Wait, please, just wait, she said. She turned around and then ran back the way she'd just come. When she found it again, she seized the fallen angel wing branch and made her way back to Mum and Dad as fast as she could, carrying it in front of her like a marching banner. This one, I choose this, please, she said, presenting the branch. But that's not really a Christmas tree, Dad protested. We can still decorate it like one, said Jenny. Please, this is the one I want. A Christmas branch, said Mum. Yes. Dad looked at the tree he'd been ready to cut down. 
letting a flicker of disappointment cross his face. Then he lowered the axe and said, Well, if that's what you really want. I do, said Jenny. Thank you. Dad was a good sport. When they got the branch home, he figured out a way to secure the thick end of it so that it stood upright with a swept curve to it that, along with being kind of flat, made it look like a big green feather. Jenny took charge of decorating. She was determined to make it work. The tricky thing was getting the lights to sit right and not to dangle too much from the bottom of the curve, but when she was done, it was well done. Her Christmas branch bowed over the cache of wrapped gifts beneath it and even reminded her, a little, of one of the visitors stooping over the manger nativity scene. You've done a great job on it, said Mum. Is that how you imagined it? Better, said Jenny. They called Dad to come and admire her work too. You did it, Jen, he said. Lovely. The picture was complete. Even Beetle had calmed down and accepted that the humans had other plans for his giant stick for the time being. He was curled up in his bed but watching them. It's snowing again, said Mum. Jenny went to the window and watched the big, flakes coming down and adding themselves to the thickening cover on the ground. Filling in all the marks of the day's activity, the animal tracks and all the little bare patches, the bumps and basins where the sun had reached and begun to melt it. Tomorrow would be a fresh new day, but for now the gentle twist and tumble of falling snow made Jenny feel sleepy, and she was soon yearning to be abed, with the duvet pulled up right up to her chin and her feet deep in its cocoon. As she drifted off to sleep that night, Jenny felt herself going down and down into the embracing softness of a complete contentment, and for several hours she was lost to the world in an unreachable and glorious solitude of safety. Once her body had rested a while in that deep pool at the bottom of sleep, where everything is put right again, it began to dream. She dreamt that she was wrapped in warm furs, but standing in a magnificent cave of ice. A blue light seemed to come from inside the walls, revealing the marbled veins. In front of her was an archway so high it stretched out of sight above her, leading to another chamber where the blue light was brighter and pulsing slightly. She walked towards it, and as she entered the next cave she felt cold air on her face and very suddenly woke up. The blue light was in her room, casting shadows. The moon is up, she thought. She turned over in bed to look towards the windows, but it wasn't the radiant moon she saw there. The light was coming from a luminous butterfly that seemed to be settled halfway up the curtain, giving a blue glow to the room. Its wings opened and closed slowly. She could feel the gentle light on her face. She stifled a gasp and instead breathed out as quietly as she could, transfixed by the beautiful creature. Her curtains were patterned with ornate leaves and big blooms of hellebore, and the butterfly settled on a leaf. It seemed to bring the printed plants to life. She sat up in bed and pulled her knees up, imagining at any moment that the apparition would flicker out, but her movement must have disturbed it, for it fluttered up and circled her ceiling, before heading towards the door of her room, which was slightly ajar. It slipped out onto the landing, and suddenly she was in darkness again. Don't go, Jenny whispered. She stood, without taking her eyes off the faint light beyond her door, 
and walking as one in a trance, she followed the butterfly out onto the landing. It was flickering above the stairwell. Its wings even sounded like the racing of an old cinema projector. It was no ghost. As she approached it, it moved ahead of her down the stairs and she followed. Halfway down the stairs, she heard the rattle of beetles' toenails on the tiles in the hallway. Shh, she said quietly. If Beetle got excited, he was bound to wake the rest of the house up. But he was calm. He appeared below her at the bottom of the stairs. The butterfly hovered between them and its glow glinted from his eyes and nose. His mouth was half open in wonder, and he was so mesmerised by the creature that he'd forgotten what to do with his tongue and it stuck out over the front of his teeth. The butterfly carried its light over his head and continued down the hallway, with now both Jenny and Beetle following it, in silence, entranced. When it came to the inner door of the porch, it flapped against the glass and circled frantically. It wants to get out, Jenny whispered to Beetle. She opened the door, wincing at the creak of the handle which echoed in the hallway. The butterfly slipped out onto the porch, passing so close to her face that Jenny was momentarily blinded. A gush of cold air met them. The family's coats and boots were lined up in the porch, and without really thinking about it, she slipped her bare feet into her gumboots and pulled on her coat with the hood and the fluffy lining over her nightclothes while the butterfly danced over their heads. Now Beetle got a little bit excited, drumming his front paws on the doormat and grinning up at her. She opened the heavy front door a crack and peeked out. It was clear night. The sky sparkled and unblemished snow glinted like heaps of sugar over the garden, down the lane and in the fields beyond. The butterfly dipped through the gap above her head and danced towards the garden gate. Jenny thought she'd at least see which direction it went next, if that might give her a clue about where it had come from or why it had appeared in her room. Suddenly Beetle squeezed out the door, too, and he gave chase. He wouldn't come back when she called him, so she pulled her coat around her and stepped out into the crunchy snow. The cold air stung her cheeks and up her nostrils. She didn't want to disturb Mum and Dad, whose bedroom window was just above her, so she quietly closed the door behind her then tried to catch up with Beetle and the butterfly. It was easy to see them both, the blue light bouncing down the lane as if it being tugged about on a piece of string, and Beetle, an inky black shadow, pouncing through the snow. The land lay silent, but for the crunching sound of her gumboots and the hollow slapping sound they made against her calves, falling into a hypnotic rhythm. She was committed now, and something in her felt that she was supposed to follow the butterfly, and Beetle was coming too. He'd keep her safe. As long as she kept moving, Jenny felt warm enough. So they continued for a while. It was hard to say for how long, and Jenny lost track of any familiarity in her surroundings, for everything looked different in the dark, and the way the butterfly zigged and zagged in front of them disguised many twists and turns. At one point they turned into a gateway and followed a hedge up the side of a field where the going was harder through heaps of snow. And then they struck out across another field, but the moon was first behind them and then on one side and then the other. Eventually, 
the butterfly led them into the midst of trees and became harder to follow as it weaved among the trunks. And then suddenly it vanished from sight. Beetle cast back and forth, but the trail had gone cold, and they were standing alone among the bars of light cast by the moon between the tree trunks. Lost. But perhaps not. Beetle was whining and looking up at a particular tree. What is it? whispered Jenny for their predicament seemed to call for whispering. Then she saw it, a mitten, hanging on a branch. It couldn't be the same one. How could they have walked so far? But it was. Jenny held it up to the thin light and noticed the blue and red patterning. A relief. She knew where they were, but it was tempered with consternation, for they were a long way from home, and they were alone. Just then, perhaps as her eyes adjusted to the dark, she caught a soft blue gleam again out of the corner of her eye. Come on, Beetle, she whispered again, and set off towards it. It was her turn to lead. Beetle stayed close to her heels. The light grew brighter, and then suddenly they were walking towards the silhouettes of fir trees with something very bright indeed behind them, and not just blue but flickering with points of red, green and gold. They were coming to the nursery, and as they passed the last of the big trees and the sky opened out above them, they were suddenly in the presence of a magnificent sight. The very tree whose life had been spared that day, was festooned with hundreds of dazzling butterflies, like the one that had led them there. All sizes, some with wings as big as Jenny's hands, and all colours from piercing red to delicate lavender, a pyramid of light. Their wings pulsed gently, blinking, blazing. Their lustre spilled out onto the snow in hundreds and thousands of twinkling sparks and bathed them in mottled hues as if they stood under the glory of a stained glass window. Jenny breathed. The mist of her breath rose like incense and all that lived seemed to be caught in the observation of an enchanted silence that stood outside of time itself.